0: The world houses over six billion
1: people. One half live on less than $2 a day. 815 million are malnourished. 400 million have no access to safe water. Fifteen million children have been orphaned because of AIDS. Eleven million will die before their fifth birthday. Forty thousand died today from disease and lack of food. poverty in our own country. Eight million people in the United States live below the poverty line. Many of them are employed, hardworking people that live in poverty. 13 million children live in poverty. In our own country, millions of people are hungry right now. Right now. There are 1,000 homeless people right here in Raleigh. 200 of them are children. With no home, no bedroom, no locked doors, and no heat. Homelessness, right here in our city. But we can do something about poverty. Not just in the triangle, but in the world. Ours is the first generation in the history of the world with the available resources to end poverty. We can feed the hungry, we can house the homeless. Poverty can be defeated. Today is about poverty helping those in the world who need our help. few years ago, I met a man named John Babin. John lived under a bridge. He was an artist. He sold his art to buy food. One Thanksgiving, we asked him if he would like to come to our home for Thanksgiving, and he said no, that he wasn't comfortable. So I said, well, pick a restaurant, and we'll take you. And he picked Shoney's. And that Thanksgiving, In 1996, we all gathered at a table at Shoney's restaurant, and John ate that turkey like it was being served at a five-star linen tablecloth restaurant. I don't remember if I ever saw John after that, but we all went outside and we prayed with him. Occasionally, John would come by and ask for Some change to buy coffee or some money to buy art supplies he could sell so he could buy food. And in my office, if you walk in, I've showed you this picture before, but if you walk in my office and look on the back right wall, there's a picture of Jesus that was drawn by John. John was poor. John always said, thank you. And he never took advantage of me. And he always said, God bless. Yet he was poor and lived under a bridge. My older brother travels to the Caribbean a couple of times a year to build 800 square foot homes for people who are too poor to have their own home. And he says when those people get presented with those homes, they walk in and it might as well be a 20-room mansion because now they have... A front door, now they have a fireplace, now they have a roof under their head, now they have a place to call home. They're all poor, and without that intervention, they would not have a home. I have a friend that travels around the world eight to ten times a year on mission trips, to serve people who can't get medical care and dental care and eye care and to make a difference in little forgotten places all over the world. On any day in our city, you can go downtown and you can see hundreds of people lining up to get free food because they don't have any. And if it were not for that free food, they would get no food. The Bible has a lot to say about Poverty and the poor. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. If you forgot yours today, if you'd like an extra one, just raise your hand. We're going to look at some things the Bible has to say about the poor and about poverty. A poor man stands on the street with a sign that says, I'm hungry, need food, please help, God bless. And I drive up to the street corner where he is and I see the sign, but I try to look the other way, I ignore it, and I drive on by because maybe he's just a scam artist. Maybe he's just wanting my money so he can take his money and buy drugs or alcohol or feed an addiction. Maybe he just knows how to work the system and get free stuff. Maybe he's just lazy. He's probably just poor and needs some food because he's hungry. In the New Testament, a young man came up to Jesus Christ and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you need to obey the commandments. And the young man who was very wealthy, he said, I do that. I obey all the commandments. I I do this one. and And he started rattling off all the commandments that he obeyed. And Jesus realized, this guy is just focusing on outward things. Because Jesus Christ wants our heart long before he wants the action. He wants our heart first. And he realized, I don't have this young man's heart. And he saw in that young man's life what was preventing him from fully giving his heart over. So Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of me, if you want to follow me, here's what you have to do. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. If you read the rest of the story, the young man went away sad because it says he has had great wealth. It could also be translated because the great wealth had him. And he didn't want to give it up. Jesus could have said, "If you want to follow me, pray harder. Go to church more. Obey this list of rules. Get baptized." Be a better citizen. But he said, he didn't say that. He said, if you want to be a real follower of me, help the poor. One day, Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem in the temple, just sitting back, watching the people bring in their offerings to put into the treasury. And Jesus and his disciples were somehow situated in the room where they could see the line of people come up and lay their money or whatever their offering was. They, could, they would watch them lay it on the altar or in the basket or wherever they were putting it. I can just see the line of people when they realize Jesus is at the front of the line and he's watching. I can just see maybe some guy and his wife in line and he's like, what's the commotion? And he's looking up there and it's like, Oh, no, Jesus is up there. Honey, go back to the chariot and get the checkbook. You know, we got to put more in there because Jesus is watching. And Jesus and his disciples watching all of those people come up and lay their gifts, whether it was a lot of money or gold or a real big fat goat or whatever it was, they were bringing in and they were just laying their gifts there in the treasury. And probably many of them were putting their, their big offering in there and going, What's up, Jesus? See that? It's big. Did you see that big offering I put in there? And then, as Jesus and his disciples were sitting in the temple, watching this take place, this small, old lady walks up, probably not even paying attention to what's around her, and she pulls out two coins that are worth less than one penny. And she drops them in the treasury. And when you read that passage, it's obvious that those two coins made more noise than anything else that got put in there that day. If you were a widow in the first century, and and you didn't have have a son or or someone to take care of you because it was a male-dominated society, you were probably homeless, you were probably hungry, you were probably destitute. And you were definitely poor. So this poor old widow comes to the front of the line and puts in two small coins. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she... Poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Something about her touched the heart of Christ. She was poor. And the poor always grabbed God's attention. You know, when Jesus came to earth, He could have chosen to come at any time in history, in any culture, at any economic status. It was his choice. But he chose that time, that place, and he chose to go to the poor. I wonder if Jesus would have chosen today, would he be living in the house next to me in my neighborhood or your neighborhood? Probably not. He would probably be right where he was then, and that is with the poor. If you read the New Testament, you read about a man named John the Baptist who was Jesus' cousin. He baptized Jesus. He went in front of Jesus and preached and talked about this Messiah that was coming, and it got him in a lot of trouble. He wound up in jail, getting ready to be executed. And somehow he got a message out to Jesus, and the message was, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that I've read about my entire life? Are you really the one that we've been waiting for? to show up. And Jesus sends him words back that are recorded in Luke chapter 7 verse 22 saying, "Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured and the deaf hear, the dead are raised to live and good news is being preached to the poor." Why would Jesus make such a big deal out of good news being preached to the poor? Why would he want John to know, Hey, yes, I'm the Messiah, and here's how you're going to know. All of these wonderful things are happening, and God's good news is being preached to the poor. What had happened in that century, in that day, certain sects of people got together, religious people, probably with good intentions, but they began to decide about this law and that law and what what God followers would look like and act like. And over and over again, these sects left out the poor. They made it hard for the poor to be a follower of God. Not only did they make it hard, they took advantage of, of them. And Jesus comes on the scene to say, this thing of ignoring the poor and thinking somebody else will handle it, this thing of saying not my responsibility, this thing of saying, well, they just want to take advantage, all that is over, it's finished. Because Jesus came to say, I'm going to preach good news to the poor. If you're poor and you're hungry and you don't have a place to live, what's good news? What's good news? That your sins can be forgiven? Yeah, that's good news. That, that you, can, hey, you can go to church now. What would be good news to you if you were hungry? Somebody's going to feed me. What would be good news to you if, if you didn't have a home? Somebody's going to help you get a home. So Jesus said this thing of leaving out the poor, done, finished. We're not doing that anymore because I'm here to make them know They matter that they don't have to feel alone. They don't have to feel left out. They matter. And as I read the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, he over and over again talks about how blessed the poor are. And there's something that inside him, he he really believes they're in some ways better off than those of us who aren't poor, who can Get a home, a car, a food, whatever we really want. He believes somehow those people without are somehow better off than those of us with. So over and over, he blesses the poor. Sometimes he talks about poor in spirit, but most of the time he's talking about people who live in poverty. One day, Jesus was teaching in this Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. He had taught all day long, and this Pharisee, a member of a Jewish sect called the Pharisees, invited Jesus to dinner. Now, the Pharisees were initially God-fearing, God-honoring people, but they became this group of people who not only did they follow God and, and they would think about God's commandments and and try to follow that. Then they came up with some commandments to interpret the commandments. And then they came up with a rule book for the rule book. And then they came up with ceremonies to make sure you obeyed the rules in the book that explains the rule book. So generation after generation of these Pharisees had gotten God's word so far removed from its original intent. They were keeping people away from God. So when Jesus shows up, and starts to teach the way he was teaching, and starts to talk the way he talked, and hang, hung, hanging out with the people he was hanging out with, these Pharisees were thinking, "What? Wh- who is this guy? Invite him over to dinner. Let's get to know him a little bit and find out what's going on. Well, the Pharisees had ceremonies for everything, every little thing, especially before they ate. They had this hand washing ceremony that wasn't necessarily to get the dirt off of your hands, it was this ceremony the way you wash your hands, the way you pour the water. Uh, clean it with the towel and then hang the towel up. It was this big ceremony. Well, Jesus sits down at the table. He reclines down with everybody else at the table, and he just you know digs in. He just starts eating, and all the Pharisees are like, their eyes are this big, like he's he's eating and he didn't go through the ceremonial wash. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. They looked great on the outside. And Jesus knew inside something wasn't right. So he picked up, like he often did in his teaching, a simple item, a cup. Didn't have the Starbucks logo on it. But he picked up a cup and he says, You Pharisees, you know what you're like? You're so concerned about the outside, the outward appearance, what it looks like out here, and you make so much effort to make it all nice and shiny out here. Inside, you are messed up. And what he's saying is, I'm here to tell you how to fix the inside. You're worried about the ceremony. You're worried about me doing this ceremony. And I'm telling you, get your heart right and I wonder how many people may have walked in here that just below the surface, just inside of your cup, there's something there that nobody knows about but you. Maybe a hurt that you just can't forget. Maybe an addiction you don't tell anybody about. Maybe some pain you've never had the courage to bring out and talk about. Jesus told the Pharisees they had greed and self-indulgence in theirs because, remember, these are the people that are keeping the poor from Christ, from God, and he's saying, outside you look all nice and clean, but on the inside you are a mess. So Jesus takes that cup, he holds it up before them, and he said... You, You want to really, you want to really be a God follower? You want to really get what I'm talking about? Then don't just focus on the outside. And then he tells him something that seems a little strange when you first read it. I'd, I'd read this episode in Luke chapter 11 many times, but Jesus, he could have said, if you want to clean the inside of the cup, then you need to have the right rules. You, you need to just pray harder. You need to just attend church more. You need to just worship with, just worship better. He didn't say any of that. The way he told them to clean the inside of their cup from the inside out was this. Luke chapter 11, verse 41. Jesus said, "So clean." the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. What? So there's a connection between my heart and my willingness to help people who can't help themselves or who are in a very difficult situation and need my help? Yes, that's what Jesus says. There is a connection. And if you want to renew your heart, if you want to get past all that stuff that's, that's hiding just beneath the surface. Things that nobody knows about but you. You want to get that out of your life? Jesus says, stop focusing on fixing up the outside and making it look all shiny and nice and new for everybody else. And step outside yourself and help the poor. And when you do that, something will happen to your heart. That's the inside that he's talking about. Another writer in the New Testament says it like this in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In other words, clean the inside of your cup. Renew your heart by helping people who need it. See, you can say, I'm a Christ follower all day long. You can can even look and act like a Christ follower all day long. But Jesus said, over and over again, through story after story in the New Testament, if you really want to follow me, then you will help the poor. It's a bigger theme than, than many people even notice in the New Testament, helping the poor. Several things happen when I help the poor. When I, help, I, I can't help the poor without helping myself. When, when I help someone else, I also help myself. Because when you begin to see the plight and, and, and the pain and the things that other people are going through, All of a sudden, you can start to feel a little bit better about your life. I can remember being in in a hospital in New Orleans where there are only AIDS people on this floor, community hospital. And going through there and praying with people I was with a group of college students and they would go into the room and pray for these people who would not come out of the hospital, no way. They only had a little bit of time left. And all of a sudden, things didn't seem so bad in the areas of my life where I thought they were so bad. You can't help the poor without helping yourself. Something happens inside of me when I help those who can't help themselves. Whether it's all of a sudden I'm more grateful than I ever was before. Because that focus on other people who need your help changes something inside of you. Do you ever go through periods of your life or meet somebody that they just focus on the negative? I mean, if it's a sunny day, they will find something wrong with it. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. There are people like that. They're hoping and looking for the negative. And they'll talk about it and and they'll find it. If it's there, that they believe it's their spiritual gift to find the negative. If you're one of those people, start serving people who are in need, and I promise your attitude will change, and it'll change fast. Do you want to grow? You wanna grow spiritually? People tell me all the time, I want to grow spiritually. All right, you wanna grow, then start. To get outside of yourself and not just making this part look nice and shiny. Start helping the poor and you will feel growth like you've never felt it before. Now I know what some of you might think because I used to think these things too. If I help somebody, if I give them the dollar or if I try to make a difference through a donation, then they'll just take advantage of it. They'll they'll just just take advantage of me. They know how to work the system and, and they figured it out and they'll just take advantage of you. And sometimes people will. They will. But just because a few take advantage, does that mean we're ready to just tell the rest, forget about it? Does that mean we're ready to just tell the rest of them, hey, a few of them abused the system, so good luck. Not everybody who is in need is willing to take advantage of you. Maybe you think, gosh, I heard all those stats at that video at the beginning. Millions of people this, tens of millions of people that, and all the, all the death, all the dying, all the hunger. How in the world could I make a difference? How in the world could we just as a church make a difference? We're only 480 people, so how, how could we make a difference but we can make a difference by doing our part. If, if If you're a project manager, you know that all of these parts have to come together to create this one thing, this software or product or something. All of these parts have to come together. One person can't do it all, but everybody together doing their part can create something. So we can't, we can't, Help a thousand homeless people in Raleigh. We just can't do it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. But we can do our part. We can't we can't help the eight million families in America who are homeless. We don't have the resources. But we can do our part. And what I'm going to talk to you about for a couple of more minutes is our part. LifePoint Church's part. Your part as a member, as an attender, as a person that says, this is where I go to church. What's our part going to be And all the stuff that Jesus talked about, all the stuff that we heard on the screen? It is time to get serious about this. A few months ago, as I began thinking about, we we need to think about people who are poor. We need to think about what are we doing as a church to make a difference in the world of the poor and the homeless. What are we doing? And I wrote this down. As a church, we will serve the poor locally and globally in the name of Christ to do our part to make a difference in the world. So, we got to think globally and think locally. Global. Here's what our part is going to be. Now, take a minute, shift in your seat, because now's the stuff I want you to write down. This is application time, okay? Get a pen out. Get your notes out. Here's what we're going to do to make a difference. Here's what I'm inviting you to do to make a difference as we do our part. We're going to serve in the community. We're going to continue with what you saw probably a little over a month ago. We had a life point in action day where many people, 60 or so, met out in the parking lot on a Saturday morning, and we went out into the community, out into the county, and we served in a lot of different ways. We helped with yard work at an elderly woman's home. We went down to uh, a sweet potato field and, and gleaned the sweet potatoes that were left after they harvested them to, to take them to the food bank to feed hungry people. We went to a, uh, a home for troubled teens and we helped do some work there and just several other things that we did just to make a difference in our community. That's one thing we're going to do for our part. So just be watching. Once a quarter, there's going to be a Life Point in Action Day. If you missed the last one, you'll know about the next one. We give you plenty of time. Next one sometime in January. So just go ahead and be thinking about, in January, I'm going to bundle up and I'm going to go on a Life Point in Action Day and I'm going to help serve the poor and those people who need it. Another thing we're going to do to serve our community, we are going to help end homelessness in Raleigh. You already heard there's 1,000 homeless people, 200 of which are children, how can one church In that? We're going to take part in, in, the, in the, the Raleigh and Wake County One Church, One Family program. Where one church takes one family for one year and says, we are going to help these people go from living in a shelter and we're going to partner with them, not to just hand them money, but we're going to partner with them and we're going to help them get into a home, an apartment, or shelter. We're going to help them with employment. We're going to help them in any way we can, and we're going to partner with them because they've already said, we want out of this. We don't want to live in a shelter. We want to work. We want to have a life. We want to have our own home, our own place to go to and unlock the door and call our own. We're going to partner with one of those families for one year to make a difference. You are going to partner with one family. You know, there's 1,000 homeless people. There's about 1,000 churches in Wake County. It doesn't take long to figure out if each church did their part, there would be a 1,000 people who don't have a home now, they're poor now, that wouldn't be that way if every church just said, we're going to do our part. We're going to take this one family. You're going to be hearing more about that. We're getting a group together to, to kind of be the main contact person for, uh, group for all that. And you'll be hearing a lot about that as we approach 2008. One church, one family, we're going to do our part to make a difference. If you go to our website, down the bottom right-hand corner, click on the word "global." You can read all about that. It'll take you uh, to the Wake County site that's the 10-year plan to end homelessness and how they're asking a lot of agencies but, but also churches to take part in this and form a support circle, which we are going to be for one family. So you're going to be hearing a lot about it. Go on there and read about it and get a little more information. So that's what we're going to do locally. Globally, here's what we're going to do to do our part. In 2008, we'll continue with the Children of Chernobyl ministry that if you've been here for a while, you know about it. The last several summers, we have brought kids here from Belarus in the area where the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded in 1986, releasing more toxins and radioactivity into the air than the bomb that exploded over Japan in World War II. So they're still suffering from that. So every summer for six weeks, last summer we brought five kids here, Nine or ten families hosted those kids in their homes, took those kids to doctors, free doctor's appointment, free medical care, dental, eye care, took them on vacation. The girl that we host has become a part of our family. And many of you that have done that know how special that is. Not only are they helped medically, not only do they get to breathe clean air for six weeks, they get to learn about the love of God that they may not, hear about otherwise. So we're going to do that again the summer of 2008. If, If you weren't in on that and you think, I want to host a child, I want to know what that's all about. Right after the first of the year, Rob and Kim Perry are going to lead that up. They're going to have an information session on how you can take part in that. Even if you don't host a child, there are ways you can take part and make a difference in the children of Chernobyl and bring kids from halfway around the world that stay here for six weeks and go back knowing there's a family who loves God and loves me that lives halfway around the world. Another thing that we're going to do, we're going to do go and do trips. Go and do trips around the world. We are going to make available for every person that wants it a short-term mission trip in 2008. I'm talking about other countries. I'm talking about third-world countries in Africa, in South America, where you can go and touch the poorest of the poor. You can go... And help with them medically. You can go and literally put food into their mouths. You can go and help them have a home, shelter over their head. You can go for a week and make a difference. We already have a group going to Nicaragua the second week of January. If you want to go on that, just go on the website. You can sign up for that. You have to have a passport to go on that because you don't have time to get one. But be getting your passports because there are other trips planned. You can read about it on our website about where you can go. Dr. John Pefferly, a member of our church, is going to be heading all that up, and you're going to hear more from him and more from me about how you can go. Some of them, younger kids can go on. Our high school group, going on a mission trip. Just imagine what a church would be like if this time next year a hundred of us had gone somewhere else in the world and touched the poorest of the poor. What would that be like? What would that look like? What would our conversations be like? What would our life be like if we did that? If you think, well, I could never afford to do that, you can apply for a scholarship. The application gets reviewed, and you may even get to go and not have to pay anything. So there is no reason, if you want to go, that you should not be able to go. It might cost you a week of vacation, but I promise it will be the best vacation you ever took. As you can tell, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about us going in this direction. I'm serious about us being a church that says we're not just focused on what's on the outside. We're not just focused on getting to do something real cool like planting another location somewhere in our city so more people can come to our church and hear about the message of Christ. We're not going to stop that. That is full speed ahead. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to happen February 24th. can't be stopped. We're going to be a multiple site church. But at the same time, all that's going on and we're going to plant this other, start this other location in Wakefield. We can't forget the poor. The reason... Jesus Christ came. The reason Jesus Christ said good news is finally being preached to the poor. If we do these things, if you do these things, it will change you. It will change our church. I can't help the poor without helping myself. On the 16th, of December 2007, we're going to have the year-end special offering. We do it every year. We did it last year, the year before. It's a time when many people plan their giving and they pray about it and they plan all year and they end up giving an extra amount at the end of the year. We did that last year and when I was standing on the stage and they came over and they handed me that number, I just about fell down. From the amount of money that you all gave to do several different things to help make up a budget, we just come through a very difficult time budget-wise, and you did you did that and more to help establish a building fund. You helped with that. We got this building fund now. So someday, when God provides an opportunity for us to have one or more multi, one or more permanent places, we'll have it. And we took some of it to go for missions. We helped a children's home. In South Africa, we built some of those houses in the Caribbean that I was telling about, and helped with other mission works in this country and around the world. But this year, it's going to be a little bit different. This year, it's 100% is going to go to helping the poor. It's not going to help start the church and start the site in Wakefield. It's not going to pay for rent. It's not going to pay for equipment. It's going to go 100% to helping the poor and doing our part to make a difference. Now, I've got a choice to make. When I'm sitting with my family and we're praying about how much we should give, how much should the kids give, we're just thinking about that and praying about that. I've got a choice to make when I start to write my check, and so do you. Can I get just as excited about helping the poor as I got last year When I was giving money to establish a building fund. When I was giving money to make up some some budget deficits. Can I get just as excited about that? Can I be just as excited about that and, and be just as excited about helping the poor? It's okay to be excited about that. But this year, I'm asking you to have the same excitement. And the same conviction to say 100% of that special offering is going to go to the poor. You decide what you bring. You decide what you give. That's between you and God. The Bible says you give as you purpose in your heart. So over the next couple of weeks, pray about it. Think about it. Talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your kids about it. And decide what you're going to give to help the poor. And Jesus said, and the inside of your cup will be clean, and then the outside will take care of itself. Just imagine a church our size and our age that says all of this, all of this is going to help those who need it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises that encourage us. God, thank you for us being able to read your word I know that you want us to reach out and help the poor. God, whatever our thoughts are about the poor, I pray that you would just work in our hearts to work in our hearts to help us see that you have asked us, us, Christ followers, to take care of them. And God, may we approach this special offering with boldness and confidence in knowing that in the coming year, many people will be fed, people will hear about God's love, people will have a home that never had one before, all because together, Life Point Church said, we want to make a difference. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.